Hello and welcome to The Case Files. I'm Kate Chabot and over the course of this podcast series, we've brought you the true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. You can get all 12 episodes of our first series now and we have another series in the planning stage. But if you can't wait for that, we've made this bonus episode to give you an insight into some of the big issues facing law firms at the moment, from changes in technology to the difficulty getting legal aid. The idea of legal aid being a lifeline to people is still as prevalent as ever. And the idea that you take it away for large areas of law is just counterproductive. And also we'll give you an insight into life as a lawyer and working at Slater & Gordon. There are lawyers there, such as ours at Slater and Gordon, who spend every waking moment trying to figure out how they can make their customers' lives better. And uh, it's our hope that through this podcast, we've made a, a small step to making that a reality. Let's start by talking to someone who watches changes in the legal industry closely. John Hyde is deputy editor of the Law Society Gazette. I asked him how the legal industry had changed in the last 20 years. The biggest change has been that clients want something different. So they don't want to be charged for every phone call. They don't want to have to meet their lawyer from nine to five. Uh, They don't want to have to... Uh, be presented with a bill at the end of it uh, and not know what's going on during the case. So I think the biggest change has been client expectations and how law firms are trying to meet those expectations. And has it been a gradual change or was there a particular time or something that actually triggered all of this? Uh, The Legal Services Act in 2007 uh, offered non-law firms the chance to uh, offer legal services. It was called Tesco Law at the time. The the big player was the co-op. They came in uh, to try to offer legal services. That didn't work, but ver- various others have tried. Uh, universities now offer legal services. Trade unions now offer legal services. Um, the big change uh, that we'll see probably in the next 10 to 15 years is uh, the big four accountancy firms, KPMG, Deloitte, and the rest. They are going to change how law at the top level works in this country they just have the scale of them uh the the revenue the 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 might that they that they have is going to change um and and particularly change for for the bigger firms in this country who who are going to have to compete with with giants really so how do you think that's going to affect people who use law firms because you're talking about sort of a growing giant sort of industry but at the same time customers who who want more who, who consider themselves customers when mm. they go to seek legal help. Well it's it's interesting because lawyers still insist on saying clients and we now call it customers. So there's actually a constant debate in the in the legal profession what do we call people who come into the office? Um like I say clients uh, and I still say clients, uh, clients want completely different things. So, for example, you want to know how much it's going to cost before it happens. You want to know how good your lawyer is. You want to know what kind of service they've provided in the past. At the moment, there really isn't anything that offers you that. So law firms have to provide limited uh uh, amounts of transparency on costs, for example, they have to put on their website how much certain uh, types of law will cost. But really, how do you know what's a good lawyer? How do you know where to find a good lawyer? And how do you know if they're doing a good job? And what is the answer to that question? Well, the answer is probably transparency. There's 
a real debate in the in the profession at the moment about comparison sites, about quality evaluation sites. So you know, a TripAdvisor type uh, website. Uh, you know, should there be an option for for clients afterwards to be able to go online and praise or or perhaps criticise their lawyer? Um, there are websites that you can do that, but people don't really know them and, and they haven't really broken through. And what are the major tech changes that have happened? 20 years ago, you would have filed a claim, you might have let, left your lawyer with it and, and not heard anything for five, six months. Now, most law firms would have an app that you can follow the, the, the path of your claim, you can upload documents, upload pictures, you can get in touch with your lawyer any time of the day or night. Um, and technology in that way is, has moved on already. And, and a lot of firms actually, although the profession's regarded as being traditional and old-fashioned, most firms have that kind of technology now. I'm guessing, though, there are situations where you really do need face-to-face contact, for example, in a, in a traumatic kind of case. Yeah, and, and not even traumatic. Uh, I mean, I'll give a personal example that I, I've used a conveyancing firm twice. And the first time we got burnt pretty badly, we used a, a factory-style conveyancer it was cheap. They offered a fixed price. Um, it was based somewhere in the northwest, and I never spoke to a single person. It was all done online, and when something went wrong, we were stuffed. Uh, and two years later, um, we found that they'd made all sorts of uh, mistakes and, and missed things. The second time around, uh, counterintuitively, we went to a high street firm, a real dusty old office, mm. all the law books on the shelves, and, and our lawyer must have been. 65 plus uh, and we just felt reassured um, that we could actually see someone and so even the process of buying a house which is not particularly traumatic actually I felt like I wanted to see someone I felt like I wanted to to see the whites of their eyes uh, uh, and be able to phone them. Can you talk us through um, any of the reforms that have come in that have had the biggest impact on clients or customers? (laughs) (laughs) The biggest reforms are probably, like I said, the Legal, Legal Services Act offered the chance for non-law firms to, to, to sell you legal services. So the co-op was the, the big example. You could walk into your local grocery store and there'd be someone in the corner offering you chan- the chance to, to write a will, for example. Or if you were going through the divorce, you, you know, come and speak to our lawyer in the corner. That was the biggest uh, change. You're also finding that particularly from America, these influences are coming, the, the sort of DIY law uh, is, is growing all the time. And so, for example, will writing, if you've got a simple will to write, and lawyers would question whether there's any such thing as a simple will, if you've got a simple will to write, you can do that online now. You know, you can pay a sort of £50 fee, £100 fee for a template, fill it in and send it off. And, and uh, companies from America have already come into the UK and offer that service. And then if it is more complicated, they'll send the work off to to lawyers. I think DIY law is is potentially the biggest change that that people will experience in their day-to-day lives. You've worked as a journalist reporting on the legal profession for a number of years now. What what are your biggest gripes about the industry? In general, I think, and the, the public feels this as well, there is still a problem with jargon. There is still a problem with indecipherable legal language I can read a judgment uh, that will run to 50 100 pages you know littered with Latin phrases that I don't understand and I've done this job for for years and uh, so goodness knows how the clients would understand it there's been one or two cases of of family judgments in recent years where the 
the judge has actually specifically toned down the, the legalistic style, if you like, and, 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 and made it easier for people to read and has said from the outset, look, this is going to be a very simple judgment because it's for lay people who don't understand the law necessarily. So I think there's definitely an issue with communication and, and trying to reduce the jargon and, and the legalistic words and, and the, this sort of other language that lawyers speak sometimes. The firms are definitely getting better at, at you know, for, for example, the letters they send to clients are, are much simpler. What do you think about legal aid? Because, I mean, it's not readily available anymore, is it? No. And the idea of legal aid being a lifeline to people it, it is still as prevalent as ever. And the idea that you you, you take it away for large areas of law um, is just counterproductive. So I'll give you an example. When they reduce legal aid for couples who are going through a divorce before if you had legal aid and you could speak to a lawyer they would often as a matter of course guide you to mediation and mediation would hopefully be successful in keeping you away from the court now because you haven't got the funds to go to a lawyer you're never signposted to a mediator and you end up in a courtroom situation with your ex-partner which costs money and costs time and increases the frustration with the case. That small investment at the start, a lawyer, you pay for the lawyer through legal aid, would give people the chance to resolve their differences without having to go to court. And so ultimately it costs fortunes when a small investment would have been enough. Mm -hmm. You know, people aren't suggesting you go back to, to legal aid from 30, 40 years ago. And it's been well documented that, that there were some abuses perhaps uh, decades ago and that perhaps the system was too generous. But now it's swung completely the opposite way. How's the profession actually responded to the disappearance or the, the lack of availability of legal aid? Well, I think they've they've actually responded pretty impressively. The the, the amount of pro bono work has, has significantly increased. Um, so that's where the lawyer works for free. Yeah, so so the lawyer, uh, the, the client might come um, with their case. They might pay initially or, or have some money to pay, but clearly they, 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 they don't have enough funds to, to continue the case. The lawyer quite often will now work for free. And it's remarkable how many hours of pro bono work uh, lawyers do. I, I'm, I'm from a journalist background and y- you would not get journalists to do very much for free. <laughs> but why do they, are they just good people, good principled people? Or is it uh, based on the, the interest in the case by, from the lawyer's point of view? I think um, uh, so much of it's unreported that if, if a client comes into you who's had a traumatic marriage or who is struggling to get access to their child it would be a pretty hard-hearted person who could turn around and say, well, I'm, I'm afraid there's no money. You're going to have to go somewhere else, um, a law centre or citizen's advice or something. So often, lawyers will, will take on a case because they've started a case, if you like. And, and, and so you, you just couldn't turn these people away. And, and the, 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 problem is, the, the problem is when it gets to court... If the person isn't represented, quite often they're up against someone who does have a lawyer. Um, you know, in, in a in a divorce case, for example, someone will have significantly more funds than than their partner, and you can't leave them to fight it on their own. Uh, and the judge might help or, or or try and guide that 
the, the person, but really they need a lawyer. They need some kind of backing. Um, and, and so I think lawyers have, have been great at stepping in. You, you mentioned that um, quite often you don't hear about these kind of cases. How do you feel about the way uh, the media portrays the law? Well, uh, I, I could ask you perhaps, you know, when do you ever see a lawyer on, on the television or uh, in the news? Um, I would say people's experiences of lawyers are the adverts you see on daytime TV for um, slips, trips and falls um, or, um, you know, Phil Mitchell's brief in EastEnders. You know, that's experience, people's experience of, of lawyers. And, and and unfortunately, the media doesn't do a very good job at, at portraying, you know, what the work that lawyers do. Some lawyers are well paid. Some lawyers have fantastic cars and houses and, you know, exotic holidays, but most don't. And uh, most are actually relatively, um, uh, they're, they're, their salaries are, are no greater than, than most other professionals. Um, and in some, in the case of legal aid lawyers, significantly less. So the media has a, a responsibility to try to show the, the good work that lawyers do. You know, I... I, I let, let's be honest, you, a, a positive story about a lawyer is never going to sell as well as a negative one. So if we take legal aid, for example, you could write about legal aid cards uh, and the effect on, on clients. But it's not as good a story as, as you know, a, a terrorist who's making an appeal through the Court of Appeal who, who, who is funded by legal aid. So if you have a situation where uh, you have negative stories mm. or, or the law is portrayed in a negative way in the media. What is the actual reality um, between the people who use law firms, the clients or the customers? And do they have a better relationship than is being given credit for? Yes. Uh, I think part of the problem, let's give an example. If you're um, the parents of a, a brain-damaged child who, who um, has suffered as a result of negligence, you're unlikely to want to go to the media and talk about the, the trauma that you've gone through. You're unlikely to want to tell people your story. So there is a problem with actually getting these stories out there, uh, which are completely understandable that, that clients don't necessarily want to to talk about their experiences. But, for example, it, that the family in that example would have had not just legal advice from their lawyer, but they would have had emotional support they would have been a crutch to lean on they would have been the person to phone when when they're struggling um with with all sorts of issues and i think perhaps that's that's not always appreciated when we talk about the 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 media portrayal as well one of my real bugbears with how the media portrays certain aspects of the law is is when it comes to compensation um and these, let's say there's a case where someone is awarded £10 million in damages after a horrendous mistake by a hospital. The headline will be that the, the family or the child has won £10 million. They sometimes call it a payout as well. You know, it's not a lottery. They haven't, they're not walking away um, with their you know, pockets stuffed full of cash. They have they're been, getting what they deserve. Well, they're getting what they need. Mm. They're getting what, what they require to, to live a, a, a basic life it, it, that we would that we would expect ourselves. So, uh, the idea of a, a ten million pound win. I, I spoke to to one particular family uh, of, a, of he's now eighteen. Their child who, who's got cerebral palsy caused by the negligence of a hospital, and this family felt genuinely guilty about making a claim. And I said, but 
you know, you've you, you've got all these issues to deal with, and you've got all these um, elements of, of the care of your son that require money. And she said, but wait, it's the compensation culture, isn't it? We we don't want to be a scrounger. We don't want to take from the NHS, and we don't want to add to the compensation culture. And I said, they've been so conditioned into this idea that if you make a claim, you're somehow on the take, um, that they almost didn't want to. And it was almost a case of their lawyer having to say, look, you need a modified house or you need a, a lift. Um, you need some kind of um, some kind of um, area of the house where, where your son can, can, can thrive. Uh, he needs care. And they felt so guilty about it. And to this day, um, he needs um, uh, particular uh, care, and uh, he, it was, he, he still um, needs uh, like uh, sort of nappy, if you like. And this costs money, and she still pays for it out of her own money because she feels that she can't use the money that she's been awarded because that's for his future care. And so she does it herself, pays for it herself. And uh, that's one area where the media could be so much better just with a tiny change to the headline mm. rather than win 10 million pounds why not awarded 10 million pounds why not hospitals error cost 10 million pounds you know that's the real crux it's not the family uh, that's the problem or the lawyer that's representing them it's the mistake that was made in the first place john hyde could speak to you thank you thanks very much john hyde from the law society gazette Let's find out now a bit more about life in a busy law firm. I spoke to two people who are working to make sure Slater and Gordon achieves its aim of providing people with easier access to world-class consumer legal services. Martin Beecham is Chief Customer Officer and Alicia Alinia is Chief People Officer. Alicia told me what a day in the life of a lawyer was like. If I can describe a lawyer as being the support for a client or a customer at a time of need... And so a day can range and it can be very different from day to day from a client phoning you in the, in the middle of a crisis requiring some kind of legal support to attending court in support of the client to really looking at huge amounts of documents that you're kind of sifting through to find the evidence that you need to be able to establish your claim. Uh, Martin, is it true to say that people are often intimidated by lawyers and if so, why? Yeah, so very recently we spoke to over 20,000 people about their perception of legal services across the UK. And you're right, they told us that they found lawyers often intimidating and speaking a language they didn't understand. And so we've, we're working hard to, to fix that. The problem with that is that at their time of need, customers, because of how they feel, would often prefer, so they told us, to actually phone a friend which means just when they need expert legal advice the most, they're not getting it. So we're working very hard to make sure that we approach customers in a very friendly, empathetic, easy-to-understand way. Alicia, to what extent do you think people being intimidated by lawyers comes from the fact they don't necessarily understand the law that well? Well, I think it's, it's litigation, so that's my background. Litigation is a very combative process, and I think the intimidation of that process means that it's really difficult for a customer to gauge exactly what it means for them throughout the process. So it can be it can be lengthy, it can be quite combative. And what you really need is to have an understanding at all of the various points where you stand. 
Um, and I think it can be quite a, a confusing um, period of time for anybody who's going through it. The job of, of a good lawyer is to establish a relationship of trust. Martin, how much do you think people really understand about the law and the way it works? Well, I think as uh, as our research as part of this podcast has proved, we've got a lot of work to do across the industry. And I think the industry has, over a number of years, failed in its efforts, if indeed it has been making enough effort at all, to really help customers navigate through law. I think we have to face it, law is complex. It's, it's tricky to understand. It's vast. And... What we try to do at Slater and Gordon through um, our website, through the people that we hire, through how we train our colleagues, is just to make it as simple as we can. And I'm delighted to see that as part of this podcast, that customers are telling us that having listened to it, that their knowledge and understanding of law is improving over time. So we're very pleased with that. And was that the main motivation for starting the podcast? It was certainly one of them, yes. Uh, actually, I... Uh, the, the podcast was really driven by customers, actually. And, and we found that customers customers want to share their experience for the benefit of others. And there's only so much you can do by sharing that story through a newspaper or on TV. And the, the most important stories we find can't be rushed. They can't be hurried. And we felt that a podcast really gave our customers the opportunity to have their voice heard. It certainly brought out a wide wide range of personal stories doing it. Alicia, what kind of things can a lawyer help you with? So we deal with a lot of uh, catastrophic injury cases um, and also clinical negligence cases. So take the horrible scenario where you have a young child injured very, very badly that has lifelong implications. What a lawyer a really good lawyer should be able to do is not only identify the legal case and whether there's a case to be made, but also arrange a multidisciplinary uh, view of that case. So the types of experts that it needs, that that can go from medical experts to engineering, architecture experts as to what that child will need throughout their lifetime, really be the conduit between the treating medical people and also the carers involved and make sure that that individual's family are really well supported throughout the process. We know that we have to step in um, and a lot of the times when there are significant strains on the NHS when it comes to ongoing care of an individual who's been um, catastrophically injured as a result of an accident. And actually in those types of scenarios, a solicitor acting on behalf of, of a claimant who's been through such an awful ordeal um, will work quite closely with the insurance company and we, we, it, it, we invoke what's known as the Rehabilitation Code. Um, and that should be a way of making sure that the individual has interim payments so that they can, they can provide funds for whatever needs they have, whether it's adaptation to the home or specific types of prosthetics if that's needed. And that's not really available unless you have a lawyer involved. Martin Beecham, people often think that uh, legal action, having a lawyer is going to cost a lot of money. Are they right? Not necessarily, no. So we, we take a number of actions to make sure that the law be, remains affordable to our customers. So, for example, in many aspects of, of law, in many cases, customers have access to what is commonly known as no win, no fee, which means that customers will only incur any legal costs in the event that they were successful, and therefore it would help fund that. There are also fixed fee options, 
And in elements such as residential conveyancing and wills, where it's typically more transactional, where the relationship with a lawyer tends to be over a shorter period of time, they, um, they tend to be very affordable across the, across the UK. The most important thing in areas such as family and employment and others is that good lawyers will always manage expectations upfront for customers. So they have a really clear idea as to how much their legal services uh, are going to cost. And that is a fundamental um, point that all lawyers, uh, all the very best lawyers bear in mind. How has technology changed the way that lawyers and customers, inter- or can it change the way lawyers and customers interact? Yeah, it certainly can. We're in the middle of the biggest information revolution that humankind has ever known and if if law is about anything it's about information so uh, the the way that customers want to get this information is changing Uh, customers expectations are evolving so if you think about the the way we consume our entertainment our financial services uh, uh, how we order things online our expectations are increasing and it's it's absurd to think that at some point customers won't apply the same level of expectations to their legal services as they do to other parts of of their lives so the technology is designed to meet those expectations it shouldn't come first it should be a way of of helping helping customers consume legal services the way they want to do so Internally, more and more firms are using what's called artificial intelligence to actually create understanding of what customers want using machine learning, big computers and big algorithms. And hopefully that should mean that the outcomes that legal services firms deliver for customers are much closer to what customers want. And you can imagine a situation where customers are having interactions with lawyers via Skype doesn't necessarily need to be face-to-face or phone anymore. And our customers are telling us they're a lot more open to doing things like that and also self-serving as well because there's some things that customers can do by themselves and it's become one of our jobs to give them access to that information where they can do it by themselves and not incur a cost at all. In terms of how people within law have changed, the law has always been a set of process that you follow what tech has done is that it's caught up with the law. So what it's allowed us to do and enabled us to do, and it's something that we're taking a real opportunity to do, is to um, take out all of those elements that build up in a, in a, in a lawyer's day that are the niggly things like setting things up, like uh, putting some information into a, into a spreadsheet or onto a case management system. Take away all of that and automate it. Leave the lawyer to use his expertise to deal with the customer on a much more human level. And that, that is the perfect formula for a very effective lawyer. Certainly when we think about the skills that lawyers are going to need in the future, that future is now. And the, the ability to be tech savvy and to recognise the role that technology is playing in customers' lives and therefore not to be intimidated by that technology, which actually is something we're all going through, but actually to harness it for the benefit of a better customer experience, that's going to be a key requirement for a successful lawyer in the not-too-distant future. Alicia, to, to what extent do you think technology can actually speed up the legal process? Oh, I mean, it's, it's going to be a fundamental shift. I mean, I, I, have to, I have to be honest, the legal industry hasn't had as much of a revolution as every other sector. I mean, Martin talks about customer. For, for lawyers, um, it's been a pretty old way of doing things because we, we still operate in a very traditional environment and we haven't really caught up with all the other industries that understand that actually it's an outcome the individual is seeking. So things like Trustpilot, 
Google scores, all of those things are now something that customers seek when they're trying to choose the lawyer of their choice. What kind of message do you think you'd like people listening to this podcast to get about the law? I think um, what's really important is that the traditional routes into becoming a lawyer are now extended out to various other ways of coming into law. So I came from a very traditional background. I did the university. I then did the the, the conversion and the LPC, etc. A very costly process. Mm. And now what I think the Law Society has allowed us to do is to actually open that up to various routes into law, apprenticeship being one of them. And we're really passionate about that. Because apprenticeship means that we don't actually have to have a lawyer come through. It could be from any sector, but somebody who really wants to provide a good service. And uh, we can train and develop them in that world. And they can have a very, very good good career through it. Um, and for me, that's really exciting because it means that diversity is going to be really paramount through the legal system going forward. And for you, Martin, what would your message that you'd like to get across be? Yeah, for me, it's about that the law is there legal services is there to help you improve your life and it doesn't need to be unaffordable it doesn't need to be intimidating it doesn't need to be complex there are lawyers there such as ours at Slater and Gordon who spend every waking moment trying to figure out how they can make their customers lives better and uh, it's our hope that through this podcast we've made a, a small step to making that a reality. It's been great speaking to you. Martin Beecham, Alicia Alinia, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to John, Alicia and Martin. That's it from this series of The Case Files, but do look out for our new series coming soon when we'll bring you more fascinating legal cases and the stories of some of the remarkable people involved. If you want to know more, have a look at the website slatergordon.co.uk forward slash podcast or head over to our social media channels and search hashtag casefilespod and join the conversation. I'm Kate Chabot. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.